Hello everyone and welcome to Mabhi Muslim. I'm Maryam Heather, producer and host of the podcast. And in this conversation, I am joined by Sabah Khan, co-founder of Parcham, a Mumbai-based feminist organization that champions inclusion, diversity and equality within the society. For more than a decade, Parcham has been running a football program that trains girls from marginalized communities and different religious backgrounds to become footballers and coaches. Their football program began in Mumbra, a predominantly Muslim ghetto on the outskirts of Mumbai, and over the years has expanded across different suburban areas of the metropolis. Through this football initiative, Parcham has helped girls tackle conservatism and orthodoxy within their families and communities, and at the same time, enable them to reclaim public spaces for themselves. In this episode, Sabah shares her own journey growing up in a ghetto, the impact of the 1992-93 anti-Muslim violence in Mumbai on her, reasons for starting Parcham, and the journey of young Muslim female footballers over the years. We discuss how these girls often had to fight for their interest in sports with their families, tackle sexism at home and on ground, how mothers and fathers have come around and supported many on their football journeys, and what more needs to be done to support them build their lives around a sport that they have come to love. Hi Sabha, how are you? Welcome to Mabhi Muslim. Thank you, Mariam, and so happy to be on this podcast here. It's an absolute privilege to have you and to speak to you about your work and the work you do with Parcham. Um, Thank you. Maybe we can start with your formative years, you know, growing up in India. And how has the experiences of, of living as a Muslim in the country shaped your understanding uh, of modern day India and the work you do with Parcham? Well, if I was to start, I, I grew up in a Muslim ghetto in uh, Bombay, in Madanpura. And uh, I was, it, was, it was a low middle class neighborhood. Uh, my mom was a teacher, so I, I had uh, both parents working. And I think that really helped to see this woman who was so important in my life, uh, actually going out there and working to uh, sustain the family. Yeah, so that helped. But in this uh, Muslim ghetto that we were in, it, it, there were all these friends that one was surrounded by who were very Muslim. And we all were Muslim then, right? Uh, and that, what, what was being Muslim? Muslim was being, you know, uh, waking up during Ramzan, doing your uh, seri, and then, you know, uh, uh, praying and iftari. So that, that meant being Muslim. That was it. It was celebrating together, uh, being religious together, whatever that religion was, okay? Meaning one just followed the rituals and considered oneself a Muslim with them. And But the peer pressure ensured that, you know, you followed the rituals, that there was no backing out, there was no not fasting a day it was it was really shameful if you didn't do that so we we managed to get through that we played together but at that point in time anyway because now i'm reflecting on my growing up i realized that you know we were all these girls would just be playing hopscotch and these really silly games and the boys were never around and uh, we we were friends with them but we weren't really playing with them and it's now that i reflect that you know our play spaces were so segregated and when we played and if we were playing in the evening, there was this one man in our neighborhood who walked past us uh, muttering Lahol under his breath. Okay, meaning so 
then we thought it was funny that you know why is he uh, reading out these prayers and you know we would laugh and as soon as he would pass by we would mutter the whole uh, prayer um but now i think like what about women's happiness or you know even the innocence of girls playing can make one think of the devil and wanting to do away with it right uh, so yeah so that that was uh, growing up um also that in this neighborhood uh my mom was a teacher and so for our family education was really important and our parents constantly were you know that uh, see we you have nothing you're going to inherit nothing so all that you will have is what you build and you better be you know having a good education to make something of your life and of course meaning you have to be the best so it was drilled that so you could never do anything you were not good at because then there was shame that you know how could you not excel at this so it was always you know it was always education and i was a really puny little creature then uh, so i would never get picked up in sports and uh, oh my god they, they were really nasty my teachers and it was always so much competition i could never play uh, so uh, so then i concentrated on education and i think it was the same for my siblings as well but we did we we did well in our studies and my parents are really proud uh, because that was the intent that if you want to get better in life uh, you need good education and meaning they thought this was the only way out uh, to a better life so we we did that uh, but it but i think that through that i also learned that um, you know perfection is not really such a good thing because it keeps you from doing so much because uh, anytime you think you'll fail you don't even attempt it uh, so that that is now the recognition that that has stopped me from doing so many things and so i think that parcham in parcham i try to remember that when i'm kind of uh, thinking of the programs but meaning as growing up then you know 92 to 93 happened and i think that any muslim you will speak to of my generation will bring the fact that 92 and 93 riots have really shaped their understanding of being muslim in this country uh, so during the riots we, by then we had moved out to another neighborhood which was a mixed neighborhood uh, still had a lot more muslims but it was still mixed this housing society nearly 400 households but it had christians and sikhs and hindus and muslims and that's when the riots happened and um, i remember us staying up uh, all night uh, you know with boiling water and you know just prepared for what what might happen but you know like i said that education being so important my brother was in vjti then and he had exams on the uh, 9th of december and uh, all the phone lines were disconnected and there was no news happening and uh, it had taken so much so much effort for my brother to reach where he was it did not occur to us that he could let go of that exam and so my brother and my dad walked all the way from kurla to uh, to vjti which is uh, in badala which is near around uh, 10 15 kilometers uh, in that violence and we were really scared <laughs> to, you know what might happen on the way because uh, a few hours later we got news of one of our neighbor being shot by the police and uh, so my my brother and father returned around evening because it took that much time to walk and walking back they had to hide many times they witnessed a lot of violence on the way and it it really changed how one thought of this city and um, how one thought of being muslim though you know earlier one was ritually a muslim uh, but with this one also became politically a muslim one could say 
of uh, mm-hmm. what was happening uh, it it also changed many relationships many friendships that one held dear uh, changed overnight with with the riots because there were friends who uh, just shunned us who uh, it, it was really it was a terrible time to be in bombay then and to be a muslim in bombay then uh, probably the hindus also felt uh, as insecure and as terrified because i don't think any of us had expected this kind of violence in a city uh, which is cosmopolitan uh, so yeah so then that 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 happened and uh, then we moved on with our lives and um, yeah so this this memory of uh, uh, of of uh, the 92 has also in many ways shaped the kind of work i decided to take on because of the kind of hate that there was and um, i would uh, thing that parcham so when we when i started parcham uh many a few of us friends actually got together and we thought that we'd worked with women's organizations in the past i had worked with awas in iswa meaning i had volunteered with awas in iswa for more than a decade by then uh if you know of awas in iswa it's also a, it's a, a fairly radical uh, muslim women's group which has been uh, working with muslim women on personal laws and other issues So I'd worked with them for almost a decade. I'd worked with them in Mumra, and Mumra is this place where, uh, post the '92 riots, Muslims who'd kind of lost their um, their homes, uh, had lost family members, had lost businesses, migrated to Mumra. So '92 is when there was this large scale uh, uh, migration to Mumra, which changed Mumra into a Muslim ghetto. uh so meaning i think from a, a less than a lakh suddenly the population increased to uh, around 3 lakh post the 92 uh, riots so that was the place that i was working in and uh, so uh, there and there was this history of you know victimhood and uh, other things in mumra um and so then when we thought of parcham we thought you know this is this is what we want to work on that this city is uh, is now so neatly divided into ghettos where the muslims and non muslims don't interact with each other there is no need to interact with each other that neighborhoods have become like these you know um, self sufficient pockets where you would wo- probably go out for an education but then you come back and you're amongst your own and one needed to challenge that because when you're amongst your own and you don't meet the other every stereotype fed to you uh, kind of just takes root there's no way to challenge it like how would i know what a muslim is like because through my school i've never interacted with a non muslim uh, in often times you would go to a minority institution in college as well where there would be a few non muslims and you know it's a very superficial relationship that you end up having with them often times so you do, there's there's no way of knowing there's not enough time to build friendship there's not enough people to challenge your opinion of them and so parcham was the idea to bring muslims and non muslims together uh, and we used football again because you felt that this is a great team game to get uh, girls together also it allows them to play it challenges this whole stereotype that this hijabi muslim girl uh, is this oppressed little creature who cannot step out of the house you know is is imprisoned in it so then to have to access public space to play uh, you know was was something which uh, was mind boggling for people they just couldn't imagine something like this in mumra and so we got a lot of press coverage everyone wrote about us so yeah so that's that's how i hope i've answered uh, you have um, <laughs> i was going through some of the points you were saying and one of the most uh, striking similarities i find between what i've read about the footballers of parcham and your personal story is how 
when you girls used to be playing hopscotch there was this old man who would walk and and just say la hall and and in the stories i've read of the parcham girls you can see that they have constantly had to fight this kind of male gaze that they should not be in the places they are found like a playground like a sports field um like even the street and i'm curious to know how has that evolved over the years that parcham has um gotten more and more girls into the game of football um have you found as you interact with families schools administrations that that sentiment that male gaze is shifting that they are understanding that what they are doing is objectifying um and that has evolved well i don't know if the men realized that they were objectifying girls meaning but but when i think um, the first day of our uh, football training i think that is uh, something which is etched in memory simply because it was so radical uh, and we we started playing and the girls who had come they were all meaning they were everyone in mumra wears the hijab I mean, very few who don't and today of course you see some girls you know walking around in their football kits as well but at that point in time everyone wore the hijab so the girls had come in wearing the hijab then they took off their burqa but the dupatta stayed on so then there was this struggle of you know how do you keep your head covered and you keep your body covered so you know they tried all kinds of tr- combinations with their dupatta but anyways they they started and but they were really stiff because uh, as soon as these men noticed that these girls are going to play there was a mela surrounding us there were maybe 100 200 young boys and men who just stood gawking so they they just surrounded us and and the girls were playing and they wouldn't run because they were so scared of their body moving and uh, you know men noticing and constantly you know keeping the dupatta in place so the first 10 15 minutes was just about you know walking to the ball kicking it lightly and then you know moving around in that limited space and after a point in time they they forgot they just didn't care and they just started playing because you know that's what the game does to you but the men stayed on for you know n- another couple of weeks so we practiced every sunday so they came the next sunday as well and then the third sunday and there were two of us you know me and akila who's this other founder member uh, our job was just to be policing the men and you know fighting with them and threatening them with you know uh, reporting to the police uh, if they misbehave but they managed but after a while there was no one we were just playing nobody cared to give us a second glance and today meaning we have fathers who come with us to the tournaments to watch their daughters play uh we had this very interesting um, um you know incident where we were at a tournament and girls because you know you kind of keep piercing your ears and then there was this tiny wire in this girl's ear and this father who actually has a madrasa in up came with his daughter and he sat there and we said you know this could result in injury and he took a nail cutter and he clipped it off her ear uh, and we thought oh my god you know it's it's you know but i think that when you begin to initiate something uh, that's when change is possible right and and people who you would not have imagined uh, to you know behave in this particular fashion have you know have also shifted in uh, what they think their daughter should and shouldn't be doing so in the same family his other daughters were married by the time they were 17 and but uh, with with shabnam he is very clear that she should uh, become financially independent do what she likes marries when she wants to so it, there's been this huge shift within a family and within the community one sees that of course you know there are uh, parents who are calling us up now 
wanting their daughters to play football uh, the the elected representatives they call parcham and you know whenever they have some program or some inauguration they want us to be around because you know aligning with us makes them look progressive Hmm. so it's uh, it's it has definitely definitely changed there are more girls playing football the football academies are now approaching us and saying that you know you are an ngo so why don't you send your girls to us because we'll take them to professional uh, football you know the most you can do is just get them out of the house uh, so yeah so we are seeing those kinds of changes now yeah i think it's a lot of um, groundwork over the years which has led to this shift in mindset and understanding that football can be not just something that is done on a weekend but can become a part of uh, you know a footballer's life a student's life um and i think the idea of how much like you mentioned the collaborations like how you are being asked by different elected bodies and in the past you also collaborated with you know puma and you know man man city i believe um how much have such collaborations helped the girls into like envisioning their dreams as footballers like do they see that this is like this is something that they can do for the rest of their lives oh yeah so um, for us football was always a means to an end it was not the the ultimate goal because uh, see when we started the girls were all above 17 years yeah and 20 so then it was only about play because you know like you you never played in your life you don't have the skill to get selected into a district uh, or you know uh, anywhere uh, but we were we were winning the community tournament so that kind of really got them motivated and then got other girls motivated but today since we start with much younger girls when we do our workshops with them on goal setting and we ask them what their ambitions are so most of meaning almost all of them say they want to be a footballer a footballer plus a doctor a footballer plus you know in the police a footballer plus whatever and for some it is just a footballer so i i think that you know it's about uh, opening up to the idea that mm. this is also possible that this can also be a life goal because till now you never knew that this was also something you could dream of or you know not just dream of but even uh, you know uh, do in your real life uh so yeah so it has definitely shifted uh, for the girls in how they see this these collaborations with man city like you know last year we were uh, honored with the first tickets to the under 17 um, uh, women's cup uh, in india and uh, all that matters that that they see that there's recognition the family begins to realize that there's recognition and so the resistance to letting girls out is is somehow you know it, it uh it goes away that you know that yeah. they know that this is not just some you know little thing but again i think that's also unfortunate because i think back to my childhood and say that unless you're able to accomplish something it's not worth your time mm-hmm. right uh so and we we don't want it to be like that we want you to be able to play for the sheer joy of experiencing your body that freedom that space yeah. uh but theek hai you know it it helps that वो उसको उसकी बेटी को जाने दे रहे तो मुझको भी जाने दो यू नो दैट काइंड बिकम्स पॉसिबल एंड देयर सम ऑफ द स्टोरीज दैट आर मेंशनड इन इन द बुक अम बाय परचम अबाउट द रेजिस्टेंस दैट गर्ल्स फेस्ड एंड देन दे हैड टू लाई टू देयर फैमिलीज एंड वी हैव सबा परवीन्स एग्जांपल लाइक शी लाइड फॉर ऑलमोस्ट 2 इयर्स अंटिल शी हैड वन द ट्रॉफीज एंड देन हर पेरेंट्स वर यू नो अम एक्सेप्टेड एंड यू नो सपोर्टिव ऑफ हर डिसीजंस how much has that changed do you think girls are still struggling sometimes with their families are there instances where they still have to lie or has hasn't been now has especially the communities and like like places like mumbra where parcham has been there for a while now 
um, are girls now more comfortable in, in sharing those aspirations and are parents uh, less uh, restrictive? Meaning some girls still have to lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but meaning I think it's it's an inverse uh, ratio now. So okay. earlier when we started with 40 girls, there might have been maybe 8 or 10 who told their parents they were playing and the rest were all lying. Meaning they, they said they were going for an English class. And so we were teaching English because we didn't want to teach them to lie. Uh, but today, uh, it's, 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 you know, very few girls who have to lie. Most of the girls have informed uh, parents. Also, because I think we took this to schools. So we, we began uh, in the first year since we had no money. We went to the municipal corporation and the municipal corporation decided it was a good program for their schools. And they hired Sabha Parveen um, to kind of coach the girls. Since then, we also moved to another school in Mumra, uh, which is, uh, and, and they then, they were so happy with the results of these girls playing because of the way it helped them discipline, uh, it got them to concentrate on their education that they uh, decided that they will give 10 additional marks to girls who are participating in the football program. And so when things like this happen, it's, uh, it's an incentive. For others to send their daughters uh, so it meaning so then it also you know meaning if, if their parents who are thinking be considering it it helps it meaning these incentives help but of course there's still parents who will not allow their daughters to play and then they they have to uh, hide and play uh, but they manage so uh, if they get caught they get beaten up um, they still get beaten up but uh, we've also meaning we go to homes we we speak with the parents uh, we try to tell them and me with you know now with my gray hair it becomes a bit easier i'm the same age as the parents of these girls and so i can tell them you know look at me meaning look at you know look at my nieces you know all that they've done and you know i would really like these girls to you know accomplish so much in their lives and it's totally possible so i think that it's it's also reassuring parents which is required at times uh, and this whole char lok thing, which I don't know whether it's only peculiar to India or it's the Asian uh, continent where, you know, this uh, more than, you know, the, the family, it's all the, the neighbors, the relatives about who you're concerned. And so then trying to get them to think about the daughter rather than the relatives. So that that sometimes helps. Not always, but it has definitely changed. It has changed big time. I mean, just the fact that you said it's an inverse ratio now uh, in is in itself like a, a big change you know to imagine that minority of the girls have to now you know hide a part of their you know football journey uh, versus majority in the last in the early years and you know when it comes to resistance and the low kya kahenge bit i think that's just like a, it's a constant term that you hear from different families in different respects about exclusively about women's decisions and women's choices um, and I have found this um, extremely, I think, interesting to note that more and more the girls are able to like redefine that we don't care. And I think even in the Parcham's journey, that has been the case that mothers have come out uh, saying that I don't care about what others are going to say. I want my daughter to you know go forward. And there were, I think, some examples of Parcham organizing matches for the mothers as well. You know, so can you share a bit about that? Yeah, um, you know, we realized over time that um, the mothers had never played, meaning they too, like their daughters, 
had stopped playing, you know, as soon as pre-puberty, actually, you know, by the time they were 10, they were not allowed to play because they were also married early. And so we thought, you know, let's do this tournament where we invite the mothers to join us. And since they were there, we said, chalo, khelo. And, you know, it, it rained that day. It rained crazy. And, you know, there was the, the ground was muddy and slush. But oh, the, the mothers hitched their saris and ran and played. And at the time of their lives, there were a few were, you know, like, no, 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 this is not right. Meaning, and we just stood around, you know, watching as audience. But we realized that they were itching to play, just that, you know, it was just so difficult for them to get past it. But they so wanted to play. And then we, but then we got them to dance towards the end and everyone danced. Uh, so they did this. We also then tried to document what the mothers had to say. So we created a video of, you know, mothers speaking about their daughters playing. And in each of their stories, they speak about the fact that they loved to play, that they were these mischievous women, meaning mischievous children, who would have, who did this, that and the other, but, you know, had to stop playing. And so now they want their daughters to have everything they did. And so which is why they encouraged their daughters to play. They spoke about, you know, the neighbors, uh, you know, saying all kinds of things about their daughters, uh, trying to discourage them, complaining about them to their in-laws and how they were also handling stuff like this. Uh, so I think, yeah, but so in Parchum, we realized that uh, we need at least one support at home, at mm -hmm. least one person who will stand by the daughter. And so we are trying to then um, build those relationships. So we do mother-daughter meets, we do all kinds, meaning we do activities where they will actually engage with each other at an emotional level. So it's not just play, but then they are sharing things about their lives, which the daughter didn't know of, of their growing up. So, you know, it, it helps this kind of bonding, which is, uh, which really helps the daughters even beyond football to the life choices they make. I was just going to say that I think that kind of uh, work within families can go a very long way. Uh, it doesn't just end with football. Um, and it takes me back to the, the word that you had used earlier about joy, you know, seeking joy and not accomplishment is such a difficult um, aspect growing up because it's just how we are born and perhaps not born, but just you know, raised that you will be happy if you have these accomplishments in life. You will be, you will just be okay, you know, if, if you kind of, and that's a constant like milestone fatigue that especially girls, I feel, have. And the idea of joy and the idea of seeking joy and leisure is just so simple, yet so difficult to explain. Um, half the girls, and, and I think you've, you've, your team has trained so many girls now across different parts of Mumbai, half the girls started understanding that value more than accomplishment. And, you know, have they been able to share it with their families to the extent that uh, they can? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the girls know that, you know, um, they, they want to live. Uh, they want to enjoy. So when you come to Parcha as a space, as an office, you'll see all these young people just sitting there and talking. And, you know, it doesn't really seem like an office where work gets done. And oftentimes I have to ask, is, is something happening here? Uh, but, but. You know, there's so much surveillance outside, Mariam. It's just crazy that uh, we need young people to behave in a particular way. And if you're a young girl, you never mind a woman. The only reason you can be out in a domestic, meaning in, in a public space, is if you have some domestic duty there. So you're taking your sibling to school, you're going to the market to buy something, uh, you're on your way to college. But but it's never to just loiter. You know, and it's 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 always with the purpose that you're meant to be outside. Uh, you cannot be seen with the opposite sex because 
I mean, we've understood sexuality only as, you know, very heterosexual. And uh, and so, meaning any girl with a boy is, uh, is just not possible. So even families which allow girls to play football, if they see that uh, girl with a boy, meaning in the football, uh, you know, talking to him, that ends their football journey oftentimes. So... Um, so yeah, so so they they come to Paljam and they find this as a safe space to just be able to sit and uh, talk and be themselves, and they recognize that this is what they want for their children now, if they were to have children. So I think that is the, it's a movement right now. The mothers are letting their daughters play, and the daughters who are now playing are realizing that there's more to life than you know just responsibility, and this is what life should be about. And there's only so much influence you can you know, with your parents, uh, but, you know, the lives you would be able to influence, you would want to influence differently. So the aspiration of what life ought to be has definitely shifted. Yeah. Um, and it is something that I think happens more and more as we understand um, how the world around us impacts us. I think within a domestic space, a lot of times women uh, are not negotiating so many things uh, beyond the confines of their home. But when girls step out and when they are interacting with girls from other communities, from other backgrounds, I think socio-political context also starts playing a part. And this is something I'm curious to ask you that Parcham has very, uh, you know, mindfully created a space where you want to talk about mingling people from different communities, from different religious backgrounds, from girls coming from different religious backgrounds as well. In the climate that we live in today, how has the political situation impacted conversations do you see that girls are talking about the way the country is is you know shaping itself um and what have been your observations yeah uh for Parchin, this is a really important conversation to have and so while we have a football program, we also have other programs that we, uh, where many of our footballers participate. And sometimes it's people who don't even play football participate. So we have a citizenship uh, and governance program where we have these conversations about what's happening to our country. Who are we? Meaning, uh, what does the identity of Muslim mean in India? Uh, so... Meaning in the football program, we try to get the, the Muslim non-Muslims together without imposing a, a conversation around, around difference. So it's just about being there and understanding the similarities. So we like if in the footballers of Parcham Pope, uh, you'll notice that, you know, there are these different girls speaking about restrictions. And this one girl says, hum hai, humko shots and there's a girl who says, you know, we are from UP, so we are not allowed. And then the Muslim will say that, you know, Ki, nahin, mere ghar mein aisa karne dete. so it, it doesn't matter. You know, it's it, it's gender which causes so many restrictions. And so it's, it's so then these are natural conversations which speak more about similarities than differences and get them to bond over that. Uh, but when the citizenship program, uh, we started with just Muslims because we wanted this... Uh, uh, because there's the sense, like I said, that living in Mumra, uh, there's this whole victimhood of, you know, the government is not for us. Uh, no matter what happens, uh, uh, you know, no one's going to kind of care for us. Uh, there's the CAA which came through, right, and which is targeted at, at the Muslim minority. Though meaning, of course, there are many Hindus in detention center in Assam, but, but of course it's projected as such. So we wanted to have these conversations with the Muslim to understand what the Muslim identity means 
to an Indian citizen and how we can bring out a secular and a more nuanced understanding of our issues to the world. But over the years, like now, uh, this year, we have a mix of Muslims and non-Muslims in our citizenship program. And they're both able to contribute what's happening to the country, the laws which are being passed. And there's a very nice, very, very um, engaging discussions which have happened through it and for them to better understand each other. So it's naturally beginning to critique uh, what's not Indian. So beginning to uh, redefine nationalism in many ways, that nationalism is not about hating the other, but nationalism is about understanding the constitution. And so do you know what the constitution says? And, uh, you know, things like that. So it also then gets us to, um, so the Hindus are also articulating their views on the hijab like the Muslims are. And, uh, and it, it, it's amazing the discussions that uh, these uh, conversations are generating. Uh, I feel that it's important for us to have these conversations. Oftentimes we think that, you know, we get very, um, uh, these are difficult conversations actually to, uh, to have. And so we don't want to get into that space where, you know, it might uh, break the group. It might kind of, you know, uh, it might create trouble for us. Uh, so, yeah, but, but it's important because when we have them, it actually strengthens the group. Because then, you know, there is a solidarity which is political. And when the, the foundation is based on that understanding, it's much stronger. Then it's not simply because, you know, I have to be a good human being. So no matter what that Muslim does, I have to like him or her. You know, uh, it, it's, it's more than that. It's understanding where they're coming from and then uh, building a solidarity which is meaningful. And, and does that translate into, like, family conversations as well when the... When the, when the footballers and all go back because i think that a lot of times you might be the only person in in a i would say like a very majoritarian view family i think our kids are very smart they know what to say at home and what not to so they they test waters they figure how much uh, where it's possible so then they begin conversations with those who are very meaning who they are closest to in the home sometimes but then they test and see how much they can push the conversation like we like this you know the early this year we had the hijab controversy in Karnataka, and we thought we need to have a conversation around it not last year actually the hijab controversy and uh, and then it, it was a really wonderful uh, debate that we had uh, with you know both sides pros and cons and you know about religion and what have you and then this uh, we, we began to talk about the fact that now we see uh, girls who are being held in their arms like you know three-year-old girls and uh, uh, two-year-old girls who are being made to wear the scarf so they're wearing a frock meaning a, a, and, and they are wearing a, a scarf because it seems right to do so uh, this this one young boy who was uh, uh, in the conversation went back home and uh, took off the scarf of his niece and his mother was really upset and she, yeah so but so he realized that okay this is not the space to have this conversation now but of course he's understood this so he's coming back to Parcham and he's talking about it he's also talking about his family's response to to how they uh, understood this uh, conversation around the hijab uh, it didn't sit too well with them but in other places, uh, like girls who came to us, uh, meaning even when they sat in the office, they wouldn't take off their hijabs. I mean, there were girls who wouldn't even take off their the nose piece, you know, so they, just their eyes are visible. And later on, they and they said, this is their choice. They start with, this is my choice. And over the years, you see that that choice is 
shifting right so you know it's you know so one really needs to uh, unpackage the word choice but also make spaces safe for women to then you know say that okay i can shift yeah. meaning i can move from what my position was uh, without being judged yeah right so uh, so i don't know how much within the family but at least outside spaces which they can control they're definitely trying to make the change and i think you you put it very uh, succinctly that um choice the word choice needs to be unpackaged and with with the way we interact with life and the situations and circumstances that is the essence of what uh, your own choice and your own agency means uh, you have the at any given point in time the complete right to make and shift from the choices you you have you know as we're talking about the idea of safe space and, and understanding and and discussing conversations that affect us beyond our homes and communities um i'm also thinking about like the the current protests that are happening by the female wrestlers where they're literally taking on you know the institutional head and they're trying to make sure that their voices are heard that the right kind of actions are taken um and again it looks looking at the larger picture of um sportsmanship in india female athletes in different games and sports um do girls at parcham think about like what is their role in these conversations you know when they some of them you said want to be exclusively become you know footballers um you know have have those conversations happened and and what has been your observation around them so we we participated in the protests uh, when they happened we did a signature campaign uh, around this protest but uh, meaning we, we haven't really taken it to the personal level that you know what if because we really are, we aren't there yet we are still a very uh, community organization we keep hoping that we will register with the uh, district association but that's not yet happened so some group go uh, for training to these uh, district associations they they have a very different experience because they are muslim so not so much as gender as being muslim uh, so you know that this girl wearing the hijab is coming in here so there then these nasty jokes which get directed towards them um so yeah so i mean it's it's at different times so they deal with it uh, but we know that so when we started the program we have a child protection policy which we read out to people which very clearly states you know what is and what is not allowed uh, earlier we used to have male coaches coming in and then we always man- had to have one of us volunteers present on the field while the coach was training because uh, it, it was very clear that the coach could not ask for phone numbers of these girls and if any girl was asked for a number she had to come back and report to us and a girl did so you know meaning and then we we take action around all of that so there is this understanding of uh, what what is uh, meaning what what should not be and hopefully they will raise mm-hmm. their voice also i think that this uh, sport gives you a certain kind of courage because you've challenged so much in your family and community to get here that uh, i think that it takes away that fear in some way it it kind of lessens the fear mm. i'm so glad that the wrestlers have spoken out and and so many of them have spoken out because it helps to know that you know you needn't take these things lying down and so i think that they're actually role models for so many other sports women who will be getting into this field so uh, for us they are role models for what they are doing knowing what is at stake and in spite of that standing up for what they believe is right 
uh, for our girls, I hope that's a lesson that they will take back with them uh, through their lives. Um, but these conversations need to be had. Again, I think that you know it's it's all about morality, Mariam. That you know if we take away the judgment, uh, if we take out the morality. Uh, because women are staying quiet because they know they'll get judged. They they stay quiet because they know that the precious little freedom they have will be taken away from them for no fault of theirs. So they they are also negotiating in uh, when to say what. And if we are able to just make it possible for them to to say you know to speak out against all that is wrong without judging them, without punishing them uh, for speaking out, then they would have more confidence to speak out. Sometimes we've realized that they come and tell, yeah. speak to us at Parcham, but not at home. So we've had girls who've come and told us about, uh, you know, love going wrong and uh, of, of violence. And uh, they expect us to set it right. But it, but it has to be on the terms that the parents cannot know. Uh, so, yeah, so it, it's unfortunate that uh, our families, which are supposed to be the safe spaces, are not really the safe spaces. Yeah. Uh, to what you were talking about, uh, that girls know that they'll be the first ones to judge. I think this is what Sakshi Malik also said, that the minor who withdrew her you know, complaint, um, she, she said that all these girls come from uh, difficult backgrounds, you know, from economically weaker sections. And for them, this is not something they can take lightly. They can't just file a complaint. And I think when I hear you speak about how the girls are also trying to find safe spaces, knowing that their chance at freedoms are, especially in the early years, very nascent, you know, they're still figuring out how much can they fight for their freedoms. Um, it does become difficult. It can be a very uh, precarious place to be in. I think what Parsham is doing is offering them a chance to take it step by step, you know, um, and negotiate on these, these uh, freedoms that we should always have. I am curious to hear, uh, because you mentioned the, the, the male coach thing, that you mentioned in one of our early conversations about how a lot of times uh, the male coaches did not want to train the footballers at Parcham. Have things changed now? And, and, uh, you know, and I, I think now things must have also changed because there are so many young uh, female football coaches trained by Parcham. Yeah, yeah see... Uh, when we started, we started Magic Bus and Magic Bus uh, wanted us to kind of get girls together, wanted us to have a ground and they would send the coaches. But this being Mumra and Mumra being a very difficult place to travel to, you know, it takes, uh, it's 40 kilometers from the city. And um, uh, on Sundays, you have a mega block, which means the trains don't stop at uh, Mumra. So it's a very difficult journey. Uh, so we had coaches coming in for maybe three months or less. And then they stopped because they, they couldn't manage the travel. And so that's when the girls began to watch YouTube videos and then design the next day's training and uh, stuff like that. And we did manage to get one coach, but we, didn't, we, we had to pay twice as much for a coach than others would. Uh, we tried to get a woman coach, which was next to impossible. And then we found one and her she quoted such an atrocious amount that we thought, oh my God, you know, so she wanted within uh, one day's training what one would give for the entire month. And so we realized that she didn't really want to be here and, you know, come to train probably. So yeah, so uh, male coaches and when the male coaches came, they thought a girl just kicking ball is enough. So they don't expect too much of women. They don't think women are actually going to go there and make a mark for themselves. So jitna bhi sikhaya is bahut ho gaya inke liye. Inko ye bas hai. Uh, now we do have 
coaches who would like to come and train but the girls don't want them and they think that you know these men have too much of an attitude and uh, they they don't really understand uh, women they and and that you know they are very condescending so they prefer that uh, they coach themselves they prefer coaching themselves and of course meaning because of all of this we had uh, girls undergoing a training to become coaches and we have uh, three uh, certified coaches now uh, one of them is actually looking meaning i think she's found a job in another city uh, so yeah so things like this are happening and i hope we are able to change this whole uh, coaching scenario have more young women coming in uh, we realize that you know uh, the without training too the the girls who coach the girls uh, coach them much better than certified male coaches because there's so much passion that the women have that you have to you have to excel again you have to excel and so you have to do this um so yeah i, I think uh, but it has shifted there are many men coaches who now reach out to us and ask if you know there's a position available that's a lot i think that says um, a lot about how far has patram been able to get the word out about girls wanting to learn football and this is just not something they want to do as a hobby but it's something driven by their passion and in a way like this the uh, sort of hunger for for figuring out what does a public space do to them how do they make it their own um and i think as as a closing question i just want to ask you sabha what do you do for fun you know you didn't grow up playing sports <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what is your idea of fun and and how do you claim your public space yeah i well you know it's it's uh, really meaning I, i i am the complete opposite of everything i do i think because i didn't get to do so much that's why parcham becomes this space of release where i uh, it's it's uh, i think it's it's void is taking you know just being able to uh, just see these other girls play and feel so happy about it uh, so which is why i say that the first day of training is etched in memory simply because it felt so free it felt like oh my god what have we done you know and that this is possible but i read i read uh, and i uh, watch a lot of tv and sometimes i just uh, take an uh, hire an uber to go for a long drive uh, so yeah so those are things because one needs to also uh, retain some sanity in this mad world <laughs> so yeah true very wise words thank you so much sabha for coming on maybe muslim it's been a pleasure to speak to you thank you thank you maryam really it's been an honor to be here and speaking with you uh, thank you so much for this and for taking parcham's voice to the world if you like this episode please give us five stars on apple podcast spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts To learn more about Sabah Khan and Parcham, please do check out the notes of this episode. Also, do listen to MBM's other conversations with Annie Sedi, Samira Khan, Nasni Rizvi, among others, who bring a diverse understanding of being an Indian, a Muslim, and everything in between. I'm Maryam Heather. Thank you for listening to Mavi Muslim. I'll be back in a few weeks' time with a new guest. Until then, take care, lots of love, and gratitude.